For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm not a betting guy, but for y'all that are, there's betonline.ag. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. What's up, everybody? It is that time. We got Believe in Kentucky, Believe Podcast Network, number one network for professionals. I'm with double zero, 96 champ, MOP of the tournament, the NBA vet himself, TD Tony Depp. My name is Vinny Hardy. What's good with you, TD? Vinny, Vinny, Vinny. What's happening, my brother? Nothing much, man. Just uh, enjoying this this nice, pleasant day. Uh, I know we had some uh, a little bad news, but, you know, we got to look at what happened to one of our favorite golfers. We'll talk about that mm-hmm. in our podcast. But, uh, you know, just really just still watching this collegiate basketball, you know, it's, get, it's getting more and more uh, exciting as we get closer and closer to March Madness. I'm getting excited. And I think with the uh, with Gonzaga and Baylor, I don't see where they're going to lose it, man. It seems like those two teams are on a class – um, as course, they're they're um, close to being, you know, undefeated by the time the season, the regular season in. But um, they're in position really right now to be like one of the teams that could finish this season with the undefeated record. So it, it makes it brings more excitement to college basketball when you have two teams that have held on to being undefeated uh, this late in the season. And you know, for our guys who missed March Madness last year, at least they're getting a chance to, um, at least they know there's going to be another, uh, be a March Madness this year. Now with a lot of the blue blood struggling, we, we know about our cats struggling. We'll, we'll get to them. They, they got a, a little mini win streak going. North Carolina struggling, Duke struggling, Kansas struggling, all these teams struggling. If, if Gonzaga doesn't win it this year, will they ever win it? You know, because all the big dogs might not be there. And if they are, they're going to be not as strong as they normally usually are. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking of, of all the years that a team is undefeated and getting the chance to go into finishing their conference tournament, headed into March Madness. I see them being the team that this year, this is their year to win it. If it's any, I know there's been years in the past when they lost to North Carolina in a championship game. I, I don't think they was ready. They played a, a, a solid game, but I think we all knew North Carolina was going to win that game. But this is their year to win it of all the years. Now, they might meet Baylor somewhere in that 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 final four, that semi or a championship game, but um, – what it's going to look like, those two teams will go in being number one seed, and then Gonzaga will be the number one overall seed. So that's going to mean they're probably going to meet in the in the championship game. So I'm I'm excited. Both teams, you know, uh, stay on course and keep playing the way they're playing. And if Gonzaga, I think they are the best team in the country. I know I've seen Baylor play a couple times. I like them. But I just think Gonzaga just has something. They're a special team this year. Does playing in their conference, which, you know, they, they run that every year, 
when it gets to March, is that does that hurt them? Is that what hurts them when they get in the tournament? Because they, you know, they they go 18 and 0 every year against St. Mary's and San Diego and all that. Does that lower, you know, their competition isn't as steep as the SEC or the Big Ten or whatever? Does that hurt them when it comes tournament time every year? I really don't think I don't think this year that should be a factor. I just think that they have three guys that can be pros, uh, well coached. They have veteran guys, and this is their year. I mean, if they lose, it, it's going to take a a bad performance by them, but also a great performance by uh, an opponent. So, it's it's to me, it's their championship to lose. I just don't see them making that mistake. And I think Mark Few has been in enough of these these big games and, and to prepare his players. You know, I, I don't think it's coming as a shock, you know, just to see, wow, Gonzaga making it to the Elite Eight. Uh, Gonzaga making it to the Final Four. They, they've been to the they've been to the championship game. So he's he's a coach that's been as far as he can go. But I think this is the year they cut down the net. So, yeah, they might not be playing in the best conference, but it doesn't take away from what they've done and how how they beat beaten a lot of opponents. You know, they've beaten some some really good mid-major opponents that have veteran guys. You know, so it's not like they're they're just playing against teams that don't have um, veteran players. You know, those mid-major teams have gotten better over the years because they do have men that are 21, 22 that have grown men. So it's not like you're going against 18, 19-year-old kids. They're going, going against grown men that's been in a program for a few years. But just the way they're playing, um, they defend – uh, they shoot the three. Uh, really good point guard. I have a lottery pick point guard. So I think this is the year. I, I, I'll be shocked, like I said, if they don't win it. It, it probably would take Baylor to beat them in order for me. And, and if Baylor get there and they win, um, you know, hats off to them. They've been solid this year, too. And I know they've been off 21 days. So that's maybe a setback for them as they get ready to start, you know, finishing up the regular season to get ready for conference play. As you progress through your career, Kentucky, you know, freshman year, sophomore year, figuring stuff out, you get to be a junior year. You, you, you know, you've been playing in the tournament every year. When it got closer to tournament time, your junior and senior year as an upperclassman, were there things that yourself and, say, a Walter McCarty already could do on your own without the coaches having to tell you to get you ready for that time of year. You know, like, like as you know, my parents used to tell me, Hey, look, man, you see the garbage need to be taken out. Don't, don't wait for us to tell you to take the garbage out. Go ahead. and do that yourself. <laughs> Stuff like was there stuff you're by the time you're an upperclassman that look, uh, we already know what we need to do to get ourselves playing our best ball in March. Was that stuff that you all could do without, you know, coach Patino and the staff having to tell you all to do it. You know what? It's funny you said that, too, because I, I think with kids, especially this generation, you do have to, you know, tell them to do things over and over again. You know, and, and I just picked it up right away. If my dad told me to do something. My mom's I, I was on it. You know, you didn't have to tell me a second, third or fourth time. It, it, it became a part of my routine. So it, it starts with your parents, you know, telling you and, you know, I shouldn't have to keep reminding you over and over again to do the same thing. And I told my kid just uh a couple of days ago about basketball, you know, stop making the same mistake over and over again. Like, what are you learning? If you keep making the same mistake all over again, show me something new, do something different, but I need you to correct that mistake. So you get so good at it that that it's not a mistake anymore. But when we made it to the final four and I was happy just to get there, you know, I'm like we made it to the final four. We lost against the five, five, um, I think it was in New Orleans, but for me, I just wasn't excited to get back to the final four. I'm like, I've been there, done that before. And I think that helped my, our team because I was looking at the bigger picture. I'm like, we got to get to the championship game. You know, we, we've been close, but we haven't been there. And for us getting there in 96, it allowed us to get back two more years because those guys experienced that, that championship with us, Jeff Shepard, Cameron, Scott Pageant, Alan Edwards, Nazi, Wayne Turner, Anthony Epps, uh, Ron and Derek, those guys experienced. So that catapulted, catapulted them into getting back to where they were. Um, and 97 and 98 was just, you know, guys that were two years older now. So they experienced it. And going back to 90, 
92-93 season, just losing and not really being a part of. You know, that was the hardest thing because I didn't – I was in and out of the rotation, and I only played in that game because someone got hurt. So, to be honest with you, I played in the Final Four game, played about 20-plus minutes, and if Dale Brown doesn't hurt his shoulder, I know I don't get in. And Dale was having an a unbelievable game. I think he had like 16 or 18 points uh, before he got injured. When that happened, it was more about – you know, Mash carried the team. Then Mash got in foul. He ended up following out the game. Yeah. And uh, we was really only down to Travis Ford. So what they did with Travis Ford, they put Jalen Rose on him. You know, 6'9", guarding, 5'9", 5'10". So mm-hmm. we, know how that, we know how that ended up. But um, that experience really helped me, you know. And as we got to that Final Four, you know, I said, hey, guys, you know, we, we made it here. Let's not, let's not be satisfied. Let's not get complacent and say, well, we made it to the Final Four. So no, man, let's cut these nets down and let's be a part of history. You mentioned it, and for all of the listeners, y'all be sure to rate, subscribe, review, give us five stars on the podcast, tell your friends about it, post about it, tweet about it, get the word out about the podcast. For y'all that have listened to past episodes, y'all know TD, you know, you talked about how your, your mom and dad, neither one of them drove. And you being the youngest, I mean, you it made me wonder about your older siblings, your your oldest brother or sister. Who taught them how to drive? Where they who where they learn how to drive? <laughs> you know what? I, I think that's a story where I'm gonna have to ask them at some point in time. Like, who taught you how to drive? We didn't yeah. have a car. I'm telling you, like when I learned how to drive, it was uh, it was a guy that came by, and he was uh, he was actually a garbage man. And man, when I tell <laughs> when I tell you, he was like the worst smelling man, but. He had a car. So he came by. I was like, man, like I got to go with my license. So my dad hopped in the front seat. I'm in the back seat. I'm just, and when I tell you, like, he smelled like trash, he smelled like trash. <laughs> so I'm going to get my license. I have to drive his car. And I know that I know the person got in the car was like, man, you are stinky. But I knew it wasn't me. And uh, so, we're, but his name, I can't I forget his name. Uh, I think his last name was Sankster. But anyway, he was the one that actually drove us up there, you know, to get my license. And with my siblings, I don't know. That's, that's you know, that that's like a trivia question. I should just find out from them. But, you know, it, it was when you're in a small town, you know, you can get a chance. You can neighbors can come by and pick you up. Um, for many years, I would be on my bike going everywhere I need to go, go to the grocery store. I, I, I got my, you know, my. Went from neighborhood to neighborhood, but you know, sometime my mom and I, we would walk to the grocery store and pick up groceries. We would hop in the taxi, and it's so funny. I look at in today's what's going on with today's uh, parents and kids, and how the parents are always taking the kids different places. But when you're in a small town, you know, you have to figure it out, and that's what I had to do as a as a freshman in high school. Because when my friends uh, didn't make the team, the varsity team, that was my ride ride to um to high school so i'll have to hop in with my coach sometime our trainer would take me home and but i, I found a way to get home every day from practice yeah like so when you went to get your license did you went and like practice in a field or a parking lot somewhere before, <laughs> you know <laughs> you know my brother lived he lived a house down so he would uh every once in a while he would let me drive he would, he would take me out and uh we would go to to a parking lot and we were we were just driving the parking lot. So I was he would let me take his car every once in a while. So I knew how to drive. I started driving. When I was like maybe 14. Yeah. And and it really, you know, with the older brothers just being around, you know, they were teaching me because, of course, I couldn't. My mom and dad can teach me anything. Right. <laughs> I was like, man, I got I to gotta ask about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was it's funny when I tell the story, you know, and somebody was like, did they license get get, get suspended? They didn't have license. Was it? Was it revoked? I was like, no, it wasn't revoked. They just, they never had to drive. And when you, you know, live somewhere, like my brother was telling me a story that he would have to walk like three or four miles to school sometimes. And I was like, dude, he was like, that's one way. I said, so you have to walk back? He was like, yeah. I said, what about the, you know, the cars? He was like, man, sometimes, you know, we just be in grass walking. Um, when it rained, they had to walk to school. So, we are so privileged, and I was privileged too. I'm not privileged compared to how they grew up. And then my kids are even more privileged than I am, you know, so it's like, you know, they never see the struggle. You know, I hear about the struggles and, you know, when you get a chance to go back and visit your family, 
Um, you know, when they start telling the stories, I was like, wow, man. Like I thought I thought I had a heart, but nowhere near um to how they live. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, man, the thing, the thing that everybody was buzzing about, you know, and when you played Louisville, you, you said it wasn't a rivalry because y'all, you know, y'all took care no, of it. No, no rivalry. Uh, Louisville beat Kentucky this year. And, <laughs> you know, first time, I think that's the second time they've beaten Kentucky since Calipari has been there. So they're like right. two, two and 11 against Kentucky under Cal. Um, Chris Mack. And Louisville offensive lineman Eric Wood made like a WWE video. You've been a wrestling fan. I bet you enjoyed that because they were <laughs> Kentucky will never ever beat Louisville again since Kenny Payne's going. They're never gonna be. So that was, you know, it was it was a trait WWE man. So you know they they had their fun and you know and I thought it was funny. You know, but it's just oh, it was back and forth rivalry stuff now. And you know, yeah. and the way I think about it, look. Louisville won. You got bragging rights for 364 days of the year. It yeah. is what it is. So that's, they doing what they doing. But you know what? But also, it, it was a game that, you know, you look at the last two possessions, you know, we had a chance to win the game. So it wasn't it, – it's, it's different when there was a blowout. Like, if they had to beat us by 10, 15 points, okay, now, all right, y- y'all might be back, you know, at least competitive. But when you just barely win on a, you know, sorry – we put like we had a chance to win the game twice. Yeah. So if, if that makes you happy and, and you're going to take that as a more victory, I mean, it lets you know how it lets you know how dominant Kentucky has been over Louisville for all those years. Is that they're not even looking at okay, man, if he hits the shot shot in the game, we win the game. And now, you know, what are we talking about here? So unless you can come back and and this is here's the thing too, this has by far been Cal's worst season. So you you barely beat us. <laughs> when Cal is having his worst season. Mm-hmm. So imagine if these guys stay, another good recruiting class come in, which, you know, we will have some more players, uh, what it's going to look like next year. Because you're not going to forget that you got to come visit us. You know what I'm saying? We almost beat you in, you know, at the Yum Center. Yeah. Now you got to come visit us. And, you know, most of those players will still be there. They'll they'll still be hearing, you know, what the Louisville fans are saying, what the, what the Louisville players are saying. So, We'll get a chance to redeem ourselves when it comes back to uh, to Rupp Arena. So I'm I'm excited about at least what could happen next season. And then, just like I said, with our Cats, um, they play well. They play well the last three games. And even going to Knoxville, I don't think anyone saw Kentucky getting that victory. Yeah, this look, it's been tough in Knoxville historically, you know. You know, Rupp struggled. Every lots of Kentucky teams went down there and struggled and, and gotten beat. And for this one to go down there and win by 15, you know, like mm. you said, you know, <laughs> nobody, mm. nobody saw that one coming. Uh, this is the first time that in the same academic year, you know, Corey Price tweets out all these stats, the same fall, winter school year that Kentucky won in Knoxville in football. And in basketball since 1958-59. Wow. So, yeah. They, I didn't know that. You know, because for years, Kentucky football never won in Knoxville. And then in the years that they did get a win, the basketball team would lose. Right. Like, like 70, I think 70, uh, 78, the football team won down there. And 76, they won, but basketball lost both times. So you had to go way back to 58-59 when football and basketball both won in Knoxville in the same semester kind of school year. So that's, you know, 60 years. I I think when you look at just that game and how Kentucky has played the last three games, you know, like they're getting multiple players in double figures. And we were struggling early, you know, just trying to get, what, 60 points in a game. And, um, you know, and and also just finding the right rotation. I think that's where – Coach Cal was, you know, playing Allen a little bit more. I think when Kim Brooks came back, it gave him another veteran, another guy that he can trust and step on the court. And, you know, he can all score, defend, rebound. Uh, the other guys, the guards, Mintz and Askew, they're getting better. But just the low number of turnovers. I think early on we had, 
he probably was averaging somewhere between 15, 20 turnovers a game. Yeah. And that just let me know that these guys wasn't used to playing one another, but also were just making bad passes um, and not reading the defense. But when you can start getting multiple players in, in double figures, you're not just relying on, you know, I thought it was a lot of pressure on B.J. Boston coming in because he was the best player that we had signed, you know, in the previous year. And he wasn't delivering early, but also he had to get acclimated to the collegiate game. You know, he was, it's easier to think in his mind, probably in his mind and most of our, you know, most of the fans' mind that he was just going to come in. He was going to be this lottery pick. He was going to dominate. And it wasn't that easy for him, you know, and, and teams knew that. Teams started making adjustments to what he was doing well. And I think also, you know, not having Clark makes a huge difference because that's another player that we haven't, we haven't talked about in months. But if he's out there, that's another potential go-to player. Uh, he probably was going to be, you know, our starting point guard. He could have possibly been like a Shea Gilgis, Alexander. We don't know how good he could have been at that position. But you lose him early. So now you kind of like, okay, who, who are our rotation guys? You know, Toppin's been, you know, he's played well. But he really doesn't have the depth that he's had in previous. Like, in depth, not to get to that ninth and tenth man, but just your sixth and seventh guy are players. So that's what he's really been missing is not having a, a strong bench. And I think putting Keon back on the bench, it gives him someone he can put in the game. He can go in and play. He can score. He can rebound. And it's also someone he can trust. Yeah. And Clark and Keon and Boston never played a game together, the three of them. Because yeah. when Clark was playing, I think he played seven games this year. Keon mm-hmm. wasn't back yet. And then nope. when Keon's back, Clark is out and looks – probably going to be out for the rest of the season unless they, you know, make a run in the SEC tournament and there may be a slim chance he comes back. But it's, it's right. doubtful that that he's coming back. Um, I was listening to Kyra Elsie's radio show the other day, and she just said something that I you don't even think about. You know, we talked a lot about scout reports. You talked about them as a player. You talked about them making them when you became – uh, doing the coaching staff and getting them up and getting in the gym before the players and, and getting all the information ready for them. She was just praising her staff and, and how good they've been through this year. And then with her stepping into the head coach role right before the season started and how much, you know, she had to lean on her staff. And she said, but this year is crazy. She said, there's times where an assistant coach will work up a scout and then that game gets postponed. You do all that work. And then you got to move on to another. I hadn't even thought about that in this year in a pandemic. Yeah. But that that is just crazy, man. It's, you know, you just got to move on to the next opponent after you did all this to get ready and oh, we ain't playing them. What I'm saying, like, you, you take a Baylor who's, you know, missed, what, 21 games, 21 days before they, you know, play the next game. And then, like I said, you know, just looking at the Kentucky game, Kentucky's had, what, maybe three or four games that have been postponed this year. So for that coach, you know, it, it takes hours and hours to get a scout ready. Um, you're talking about, man, probably 12 to 13 hours, you know, just watching, watching, uh, watching tape, going over plays, trying to remember these plays underneath, out of bounds, side out of bounds. And then you got to present that in front of the team. So, you know, the first time is you don't think about it as a player um, how much, time goes into what these assistant coach are doing, you know, until you actually become one. I'm like, oh man, this is, this is a lot of work. So when I was at New Mexico State, when I was, I remember doing my first scout, I think I remember I got there probably like five in the morning. Like, so I was there five in the morning and I was doing, I was working all day, you know, so my scout wasn't for like another, maybe six or seven days. So, of course, I went to the assistant coaches who had been there, Paul Weir, and uh, one of our coaches, we call him Boogie, Coach Brown. And I uh, just was asking those guys questions, like, hey, what do I need to put in the scout? They was like, hey, you got to make sure you know the offense, you got to know the defense. Uh, you got to spend time, you know, knowing these plays. Uh, underneath, out of bounds, press breaker, half court. Then you have to know personnel. You have to know each player's strength. So it's not just like you just present that, that scouting report in front of your, your person, you know, in front of the team, you know, you can't have those plays. Those, so those plays, you have to actually know those plays. And you would think you have a little note card coming out there, like, you know, your little cheat sheet. No, you gotta, 
So the coach expects for you to know those plays, put the players in the right position. And then, you know, when it comes game time, that that post game, uh, pregame is, you know, now you got to come up in front of the, I, I remember I was so nervous. I was like, man, you know, I got the 12 players watching me, the coaches, the coaches behind me, and I'm going over the first player, the second player, then you got to get into, um, into the plays. And so, once you do it a couple of times, you know, you start getting a little rhythm. But, you know, it's always nerve-wracking the first time you do a scout report because, you know, you want to nail it. You want to get it right. So the whole time the game is taking place, now you know all the sets and you tell the players where to go, you know, and you want to win your scout. You know, although it's, it's the, you know, it's the team game, but that's your scout that you spent all those hours, you know, just watching and and. You know, so then you have to give, um, you know, I think scout report probably 10 to 15 pages long and you got to come in and print all those out and give all the players their scout, give the coaches their scout. So as soon as I knew my scout was um, when I had my scout coming up, I would always just, you know, I would start weeks earlier, just kind of getting information. And you, I, I would also call coaches, some of the coaches that had played against those teams. So it's really just giving your edge. So what she was talking about, you know, when you spend like four or five days working on that scout and game is postponed, you're a little bit upset. Hmm, man. And you, you know, we talking about the scout report. It and and Kentucky just beat Tennessee. You, you flash back I think, to 09. Jody Meek scores 54 at Tennessee. One of the bright spots of the Billy Gillespie area. They did did an article a few years ago uh, about that. You know, they went back and talked to Bruce Pearl. They went back and talked to all the players and, you know, just kind of an oral history of that. And when Jody scored 54, that was Steve Forbes' scout, who's the coach at Wake Forest. Now, I don't even think he wanted to comment. I don't even think he had – he didn't even want to comment (laughs) about the article because that was his scout when Jody Meeks went 54, and so he still – you know, still kind of in his feelings about it. <laughs> it kind of salty about it, yeah. But you know what? What's so funny? Like he also, you know, Jody broke my three-point record that night. I was sitting there watching. You know, you is it, is funny when you know, and I've known Jody for many years, but just a, a you know, a quality guy, good dude. Um, it does make a huge difference when you do that scout and a player gets hot. There's nothing you can do about it. He's a score. He has the green light. He's going to get shots. And when you watch a player like a James Harden, a Kyrie Irving, a, a LeBron, you know, everybody's going to have one of those games. You know, you look, you take a, a Fred Van Vliet who had, you know, 54 this year. It's somebody did that scout and did they know he's going to go off of 54? Like the most I think he scored up until that point was like maybe in his 30s. Mm-hmm. So now it's just one of those nights where you're hot. And there's nothing you can do. And that's how, you know, I was watching that game. I was like, man, he wasn't missing anything. He was just on fire. And he just happened to be on the road. And it just happened to be somebody else's scout. Yeah. You know, where it's like, dude, what you want me to do? You know, but I think what great coaches, great coaches can make adjustments during the game. Um, in a timeout, possibly at halftime. And when a player gets that high, you got you have to decide do we double team him or do we just like run or we just tell somebody else that hey, your job and responsibility is just stay at home on him. We're going to go away boxing one and we just going to make these other guys beat us. And he just wasn't, he wasn't having it. He was like, I'm getting the ball. I'm going to dominate. There's nothing y'all can do. Nobody can stop me. And when you're scored, you're going to have a few of those games. Exactly. I'm going to take a minute and, and talk about, our sponsor eBay you know, last week with Walter McCarty on, you were checking to see if your sneakers were going to arrive on time. So you know, <laughs> eBay, eBay is in the sneaker game. So we got to talk about them since they're sponsoring Believe in Kentucky. Uh, whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for as the original sneaker marketplace. eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional auth- authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the logo, the box, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee, a tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with a verified return process. 
And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 and up, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. So eBay in the sneaker game, uh, definitely check that out, ebay.com. You mentioned Jody Meeks <clears throat> breaking your record. He hit 10 threes that night at Tennessee. You were in the record book with nine with, uh, against TCU. You go to bigbluehistory.net, you all up in there with six threes, seven threes, eight threes. When you little three-pointers in a single game, mm-hmm. Tony Duck is all in there. You had nine. Jody hit 10. But do you remember anything about the game where you hit nine against TCU? Because I remember you said you were you were mad when you had seven against Syracuse in the championship game you thought you were going to end up with more. Man, I thought I was going to have about 10, 11 threes against Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you have – you have six the first half, you're like, okay, man, worst case scenario, I'm at least going to make three more. Yeah. And I got stuck making – I only had that one four-point play. But even, but going back to the TCU game, it was it – was, when I look back at it, I took 12-3, and we was up like 25, 30 points. And I remember Coach taking me out the game, and Derek Miller had the record for eight at the time. So I went out the game with seven, and Coach – we talked to him and he wasn't, he wasn't gonna let me go back in the game. He was like, you know, finished, came out, everybody else. He was like, okay, you basically got two minutes to get this done. <laughs> and this is what he said. He's like, you can't get hurt in this game. You know, he was like, you know, we, we're looking at the bigger picture. We're not just trying to help you get this record. But I'm like, you know, every once in a while when a player gets hot or he's that close to a record, you put him back in the game. So I went back in the game. I took two threes, made both, and took me right out of the game. And there must have been like maybe 10 to 12 more minutes left. But that was one of those nights I probably could have went for like 12, 13 threes. Because I, yeah, I, think I, I think I took 12. I was 9 for 12 from the three-point line. And those two, when I tell you, I went right back in. One was a high rainbow shot. The other one came, swung at me. I shot it. And I looked over there. I'm like, you can't, I can't believe it. Somebody at the scores table come to come and get me. Right. I'm like, this dude, he just, so I don't even think I stayed out there for two minutes. I just think I got two shots up. Mm-hmm. So the players, you know, they got the ball to him. I took the two shots and sat on the bench the rest of the way. But, you know, it was one of those times where, you know, I, I can go back to high school where my coach just let me, when I said let me rock, he yeah. let me rock. He let me stay in the game. And he was like, okay, let's see how many points you can get. <laughs> and And he, he let me go and he just gave and that. That's a different green light. You know, when you can have that green light, like there's no shot that I took that, that I ever took an ice. I thought it was a bad shot, but he also allowed me just to be able to have that freedom. And, and that's something that when you come to college and you start playing with other great players, you're not gonna get that many attempts. You know, there were games I might've had 16 or 17 t- attempts. I never really got into the, to the mid twenties. Mm-hmm. never could because we had a bunch of dudes that wanted to score especially when when Antoine Walker got there there was no way I could get in, in get in the mid-20s you know he <laughs> I mean every time it touched his hand he was like putting it up you know yep. and then you had um you know other guys that were trying to score but it made it made us a, a a really versatile team you can just have so many different score multiple scores like when I watch Kentucky when they win games it's not just one person scoring it's not just two people scoring you know you start seeing four and five guys and the scoring that helps with the scoring as far as like, you know, now we're not just relying on this one guy and it takes the pressure off a guy like Boston. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about getting in the three point contest while you were in NBA? No, I never did. And I think the one year I had a really high percentage. I was in Boston and um, I twisted my ankle and I probably missed about, I think I missed about maybe four to six weeks with that ankle. And I was maybe like around 42, 43. Cause at that time, you know, Boston, uh, coach O'Brien was a coach and we basically every shot, every other shot was a three pointer. So we started shooting a lot of threes back in um, like Oh three Oh four. And that year I was having a really good season. Um, probably was like second or third in the league and making threes. And I think Antoine we was like right together, you know, then I get hurt and, I probably missed, like I said, four to six weeks with an ankle injury. And that was the only time I think. And But it's, it's funny, 
everyone thinks it's easy <laughs> to start just shooting threes like that. Like, you know, you got to get the rhythm. You know, you still have the crowd. You know, th- there's pressure. Because I, I tried to do it one time in high school. And I probably made about three, probably like three threes. Wow. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. On my home court. <laughs> oh, man. Man, so yeah, that's totally different. Running to the racks and, and just, it's yeah, totally different in a game. But real. you know what you got to, but you got to practice on it. So most of these guys, even though, you know, we're thinking like, okay, these guys just walking in the gym. Well, you know, you're in the three-point shootout, the three-point contest. You have three or four people start rebounding for you and you get those racks and just put the balls on it and you start going around because it is a rhythm thing, but, you know, you will get tired. You know, mm-hmm. knowing that I got to make this many shots in, in a minute. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really have uh, – your concentration has to be great. Mm-hmm. And focus, um, being lined up. When that ball leaves your hand, you know, you got to get the next ball. So it, it's, it's a rhythm to it. It's not, it's not like those guys just walk in and they just start shooting threes. I'm like, no, trust me. You know, pros are practicing because they don't want to embarrass themselves. You don't want to, you know, shoot 25 shots and make two. Yeah, yeah. So I learned my lesson in high school. <laughs> With um, Kentucky, you know, like you know, showing a little life, you know, this three-game winning streak. Um, how weird was it? Because last week they they left for Vanderbilt like Sunday or Monday because of weather that was coming through, and they just stayed in Tennessee. After they left Knoxville, they just came on up to right. Nashville. They didn't go back to Lexington. I didn't How know weird would that be as a player just to be on the road for a straight week? Now, I mean, NBA, I mean, y'all had them long road trips. Yeah, we do it in the NBA, yeah. In, in college, to go from Nashville to Knoxville in a pandemic, all you can do is just stay in the hotel. How weird yeah. would that be from your normal routine as a as a player? I think it's great bonding. You know, if you get a chance to spend time with your players, um, you know, build, build chemistry, you see the cohesiveness starts starts to come out. Uh, personality. You spending spending time with the coaches. You learning more about the game. Um, you get a chance to, you know, I think it's less pressure when you're on the road. Like I always felt there was less pressure to go on the road and and, and try to win games. And it was fun, you know, to see those see those fans have to lead a game early, or <laughs> quiet the or shut the crowd up. You know, they they're not cheering no more. So. I love going on the road, but I was really, I was thinking about when that Vandy game after the game that I guess Coach Cal and, and Stackhouse, <laughs> they didn't shake hands, but Coach, Coach Cal threw up the deuces, man. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and Stack didn't like that. You know what I'm saying? He was like, Oh, that's how we're going to rock, man. You're going to throw me, the, you're going to give me the deuces. <laughs> and Stack is my guy though. <laughs> and I saw that. I looked at, it, I was like, did he just, Oh man, he he throw up the deuces. Cause they, I don't know. Yeah, I think he's been waving at guys after games. He I know talked to Rick Bond. Nope, no, he didn't. But that's so true. After the game, that's he true. went and talked to Rick Bond. So that's true. And, and that's and Stackhouse and Nate Oates dapped it up the next game. Vanderbilt and Alabama. Stackhouse and Nate Oates was. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. So, <laughs> but he gave him that little. He waited. Yep. <laughs> man, see, I'm out of here, man. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, I'm out of here. Forget you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that is true. You sure it is. How, look, this is the second time the Texas A&M game has been canceled, you know, postponed. They, they, didn't they, 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 need to mo- they need to move on from that game. They, they need to put someone else on the schedule, man. Just forget Texas A&M and that's yeah. football. That's and not going to happen. I think it's a Texas thing. You know, they couldn't play Texas. And then the two games with Texas A&M both – didn't come through something with the state of Texas. It just mm-hmm. hadn't been working out with them, you know, winning three in a row. How, how much does it suck that they can't get this game in because they're finally looking like they're in a rhythm. And now you got to wait until Saturday before you play. again. Well, I, I think it's like you said earlier, you, you got a rhythm going right now and you want to keep that rhythm going and keep playing good basketball. And that's where, you know, when I look at the schedule, I was like, oh, they get a chance to, to play at home and possibly get another win. I was looking forward to it. So those guys, rhythm-wise and, and confidence, you know, that's what we're seeing as they play. And, and we always see Coach Cal teams around this time of year 
start playing their bas- best basketball. And even with this team, they didn't get off to a great start, had a lot of close losses. They didn't have any identity. They turned the ball over quite a bit. But now we've seen a different team. And some of that comes from just having Brooks back, but also um, just getting a lot of games under your belt, just getting games against good opponents. And now when you're facing some of these teams in the SEC, other than probably Alabama, who has been we've shown they shown they are the best team in the conference, you can beat these other teams. You know, if you can hang in there and, you know, and go beat a, a ranked Tennessee team on the road by 15 points, I think that's confidence within itself. Like they have to believe now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure they do. It just came out. The uh, NBA All-Star Reserves came out, and, and Julius Randle made his first All-Star game. So uh, cool to see him get named to the East squad up there in New York. And his mom, they put her up on the Jumbotron there in the arena, and he at a timeout he looked up, and there she was, you know, congratulating him. So it was, it was a pretty cool moment uh, to see Julius get his first All-Star selection. And he should have been. I mean, it, it was, you know, I was looking at um, Julius. Um, I don't know if Zach Levine made it. And they were talking about. Um, he, did. he did. from. Oh, he did. Good, good, good. They were talking about. Um, I'm trying to think of my guard from Cleveland. Uh, went to Alabama. Yeah. Colin Sexton. Uh, yeah, they were talking about him, but, but they lost too many games. I'm like, no. Nah. And yeah. on top of that, I thought as well as Bill is playing. James Harden should have been the starter. Like that dude is 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 the truth. Mm-hmm. And when you look at just how dominant Brooklyn has been, um, and it, and it's so funny as, as I'm watching and hearing from these teams that that didn't want to you know trade players or didn't want to give up compensation to get James Harden. I know Pat Riley was <laughs> he was definitely not one of those guys. He was going to give up some players to get James Harden because James Harden is that the player that makes the guys around him better. He's um, this, he's probably the best dual threat that I have seen in a few years, just being able to score and facilitate. And he score on a high clip and he can get you 15, 16 assists because he's that hard to guard. And also being a left-handed player, you know, that's something that, a lot of right-handed right-handed players struggle guarding those guys. And I used to have problems with left-handed guards. You don't see him that often. And then when you crafty, he's strong. He, he can shoot the three from deep. He finishes at the basket. Has um, you know, with him being 6'5, six, 6'6, six, six, he can see over defenses. He makes the game easy for everyone. Um, and so, like I said, you, when you look at it, Julius Randle, he's been balling from the first game. Like, you know, it's almost like you wait for that guy to be like, okay. All right, when is he going to stop playing well? He's been playing well all season. So he's definitely deserving of him being uh, deserving of his first all-star appearance. When you look at the East, you know, a lot of records, teams barely over 500. Milwaukee is not the same. Toronto, Philadelphia, they all just hovering around, you know, 17 and 13, those type of records. Is it, you know, even Boston is kind of struggling. Is it kind of New Jersey? I mean, Brooklyn and everybody else? Or you you think as as far as coming out of the East, you think Brooklyn really should come on out? It's championship or bust for them. That's why they got this team to put together. But you think it really is kind of Brooklyn, and then everybody else is fighting for second. I really do like I like Philly. I think Philly presents a problem with uh, Embiid, Simmons, um, and that group of guys. You know. Um, I think they could they could they could present a problem because you know with Embiid having an MVP like season, mm-hmm. you know they really don't have. I know DeAndre Jordan to be the person guarding him, but you know that's I think that makes it difficult for them. You know when they have to go against a strong big, and he is he can be he can be really dominant. So that's where I look at him and say, okay, you know what really hurt them, and it's funny too because I. I was trying to think when they was what, – what were they going to give up to get James Harden? And I thought if they could have held on Brooklyn Nets, they could have held on to Jared Allen. Could you imagine how good they would be with Jared Allen? I know it was tough giving up Karis LeVert, um, but if they could have kept Jared Allen as a backup or even a starter to DeAndre Jordan, yeah. you know, with James Harden, I don't even know. Like, like they would be that tough. 
The Lakers without AD is a different looking team. It, it's put so much pressure on LeBron right now to, you know, perform it, you know, as if he was in his 12th seat, you know, so a lot of wear and tear on them, on them, on them legs, you know, and they haven't, but I think they what they've lost three out of four games possibly, but just let you know how great a player that he is, but also just missing AD and AD is not having, you know, the kind of year he had a couple of years ago, even like last year. Mm-hmm. And some of that is, you know, he probably does have it with that strain calf muscle. He has to be very careful with that. Mm-hmm. And then that quick turnaround, you know, the, there wasn't much of an offseason. You know, the Lakers won in the bubble and, you know, felt like a month and a half later, if that, you know, the season was starting again. It was just a quick turnaround. So I think the wear and tear is really going to second half of the season kind of catch up with guys for sure. Uh, wrapping up, man, those opening day for UK baseball, they won 5-1 to one to beat Miami of Ohio and – you won a lot of hardware at Kentucky, a lot of SEC titles, national championship. Got to get up, give it up for uh, UK women's swimming and diving. They won their first SEC championship in the history of the program over the past weekend. So, got to give wow. it up love, man. Much love, much love to to our to the diving, swimming and diving. I know, you know, it's it's a sport that goes not not talked about as much but also you know they put in just as much work as basketball football um and baseball so i'm happy for them he was telling me story about uh coach pitts coach mitchell died, jumped in jumped in the water to uh yeah. congratulate his yeah, mitch barnhart yeah mitch barnhart he jumped in and, and congratulated his, his uh his team yeah, that's big time that's big time from from the ad i just found the it's like a little gif or gif or whatever. So I, I have to send it to you so you can you can see for yourself, man. He yeah, I gotta see that firsthand. Like like that's right in there. <laughs> you know that ain't that ain't his personality, but he he let loose and just dove right on in there. Yeah, man. <laughs> but you know what? I think over over the years his personality has changed. You know, and I, I think he has become a person that wasn't so. I would say you uptight. know a suit and tie guy, uptight, uptight, uptight yeah. in the suit, but. You know, you sometimes you have to let loose, let people know you have a personality, you know, yeah, you're doing your job. But, you know, with this generation of kids, you know, with social media, they bring you into stuff where you might not want to be involved. But it's like, man, let me just let me just, you know, unbud my unbud my shirt, uh, loosen my tie and let me have fun. Yeah. And that's what he's doing. And, you know, and I think, you know, when players see that, you know, now. They they want to they want to hang out with you because like, okay he's he's cool after all you know he's not a square yeah <laughs> the cow cow was messing with him because cow because he did take his shoes and socks off and took his wallet out cow was like man just jump on in there why are you gonna take your shoes and socks off yeah man, what you doing man <laughs> but, you know for the most part he he jumped in there you know uh, but he, he, shoes and socks and wallet was on the side of the pool but everything else he was. <laughs> he was in there dripping wet with him. So congratulations. You need credit cards, man. Like, so you can't jump in there with you. You might, you might, you probably had a cell phone in his pocket. Yeah. Cell phone. You, can't, yeah. you can't jump in with your cell phone. Right? That uh, doesn't, like I said, you got, they're going to be like, man, what, somebody trying to reach me right now? My cell phone is all wet. So he, he did the right thing. He emptied, he emptied his pocket. Absolutely. And y'all know all these episodes will also be on a sea of blue. And we got to roll out and, and give love to La Terrain. TD, y'all got the commemorative. 25th anniversary championship watch. Dave and Ben just put together a fire watch, the collection, you know, all your ideas, you the TD watch, the Red Crest, the Voyager, the national championship edition with yourself and Walter McCarty, you know, 96 of them, BBN, get in there quick because it's only going to be 96. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes. LaTerrain.com. Go on that is it. it. Only, 90, only 96 will be made. This is the... The only and the last time you're going to see them. I'm excited about them. Like I said, I think you know, Ben and Dave, those guys have definitely done a really good job of just having a, a really cool time piece that um, marks uh, all our great, all the good work we did, you know, for, you know, for myself, four years, some of the guys got a chance to get it, get it early after the season. And, you know, but I think what, what Dave was doing was trying to, you know, create a time piece that looked good for you know, for us, that was classy, but also something that you can wear, you know, if you got your sweats on or you got your shorts on, um, you know, just having an extra band. And plus the um, the case is cool. 
So the case has a lot of meaning behind it. So now you can just have that nice watch, even if you might not, you don't want to wear it, because I'm sure I wear it every once in a while, but also just having it in the case with some of my other hardware, um, you know, that's what I plan on doing with that watch. Absolutely. Well, man, got another great episode in the can, TD. We'll see what happens with the rematch against Florida. Kentucky went down there and beat them, and now they get in the Rupp Arena. So uh, we'll see. We need it. Yeah, that's, that's you know, you just, it's not been a lot of games where they look great, but back when they were struggling, they looked good against Florida. That was one where they went down there and, oh, okay. And now we got a three-game winning streak, trying to end the season on a high note and and hit the SEC tournament and with guns blazing because that's the only hope. You know what's so funny right before we get off is, is I'm looking at what Julius Randle is doing. I think his passing is underrated. And we look at his, his points and his rebound, but he's a, a really good passer. And then when I watch his – I look at his box scores, I'm like, man, eight, nine, ten assists. So he, he, he is a complete player. And, and you look back at what the Lakers – some of the players that left the Lakers, and I know LeBron is, you know, is two or three players within himself. But when you can just have, you know, a talented player like that and he's still pushing himself, you know, and, and teams still believe in him. And I don't know, man, it might, it might be KP. Who knows? If he might be that dude. That's it. That's it. That's what Chris Mack think anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he sure does. Oh, man. So, yeah, it'd, it'd be fun to get them back when they come back to Rupp. And, and look, they're they celebrating, you know, like when Kentucky beat Tennessee in football, I was there at Commonwealth Stadium. I stormed the field. It's, it's been 25. But Louisville, on, bas- Louisville basketball should be doing so that. So you say you stormed. You, you really did storm the field, man. When <laughs> in 2011, when they beat Tennessee for the first time in 26 years, uh, yeah, yeah, I sure did. I hopped right over the gate, man. I was out there. <laughs> so really, so we, we had we had a a lot of Kentucky fans that was on the, that was on the field celebrating. I know you were the only, you wasn't the only one out there. No, no. See, it was myself, my dad, and my sister. We we said we're gonna go to every Tennessee Kentucky game until Kentucky wins. We go to Knoxville. We go to Lexington every year. We was there mm-hmm. and 2011 after you know six, seven years of us all three going, Kentucky <laughs> won, and uh, we all hopped over there with all the Kentucky fans. Man. Oh, that's what's up, man. That's yeah. big time. <laughs> I got a got a picture of us all on the field. So yeah, I might hey man. As long as no fights broke out, you made it home safe. That's all that counts. That's it. That's it. I sent you that Mitch Barnhart. You had to check that out, man. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, I will yeah. check it out. Okay. Yo, man, check out the, every episode. We'll have fun. Sometimes we have guests. Sometimes TD and I just rock. Y'all stay tuned next week for another episode of Believe in Kentucky. We'll catch y'all next time, baby. Deuces. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.